You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all and welcome to another edition, another episode of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Tuesday, the 10th of January 2023. Uh, with your with your usual uh, Tuesday afternoon uh, drive time show presenters, myself Shajil Ahmed, and also uh, in the studio we have uh, we have Saad Ahmed and also Zakaria Sheikh uh, as well. Um, Assalamu alaikum, brothers. How are you, how are you guys doing this uh, this afternoon? Wa alaikum Yes, uh, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, uh, we're doing well. But hopefully, we'll enlighten it. Uh, and we make it interesting. We'll make it interesting. I mean, it's the way <laughs> the way that uh, you you know um, you talk about something something which is yeah. quite boring. Mm. You can make something uh, interesting uh, uh, as well. But we'll delve into the topics uh, uh, in just a bit as well. So, how, how are you doing, Safin? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you. I'm fine. Zakla for asking. You know, today when I was coming here, I was thinking, okay, what are UK strikes? Because they've been mm. happening for some time, right? Mm. And I wanted to ask, you know, our guests also today, um, what we can achieve from this also, and so yeah. to enlighten myself and our listeners regarding you know, these topics, you know, our day-to-day topics, which I have, mm. we have your religious topics and you have your worldly topics also. Right. So you know, that's why I wanted to get into this and ask, you know, UK strikes, who is to blame, and what is the outcome out of, from these strikes which are happening? Even you know, I was looking at the chart. Mm. For to, um, this week and the next week, so we have, for example, on the tenth today we have the um, buses on strikes. Mm. We have teachers today and tomorrow. On the eleventh, we have the ambulance, our frontline um, workers are on strike, and then yeah. again on the twelfth we have the buses on strike. And the next week we have the whole week where the teachers are doing strikes, and then you have the nurses who are doing strikes on the eighteenth and nineteenth, and so on and so forth. Mm. So I wanted to find out because. When we were younger, strikes used to happen, but they weren't they weren't happening so often. It was on a rare occasion, maybe. Oh, this it? oh because of social media now we we know even more what's happening, right? Could mm. be that also, and because news is, or oh, um, we are more connected nowadays. Mm. When we were younger, we, we were not that connected. A little bit distant as well. Distant from this stuff. Our thing was you don't really yes. care about it as well. Our thing it, was we go home, uh, play outside, um, cycle around the block, and then come back home. Yeah. And we we never thought about this stuff, anyways. But we knew when when teachers um they used to happen as teachers strike they used to happen. We used to have a relaxing day at school. Yeah. So we used to be happy at that time. But obviously, I want to know. What it, more details, more details about this. it, and what actually happens, and that what 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 would be the out, outcome from this? I mean, that is, I mean, uh, you know, you must have, uh, um, you, I mean, you probably know now what what we're going to be talking about. Yes. The first part of the show, we are going to be speaking about strikes, and you know what you just said as well, Saad, that who is to blame, um, or you know, what thing, or how can we actually pinpoint exactly? Uh, I mean, we don't want to point fingers and say, you know, you're to blame or you're to blame or whatever. But to get to the bottom of this, um, how can we fix this? How can we fix these problems as well which are occurring? 
And that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about in the majority part of the show in today's uh, in today's drive time show. Towards the latter part of the show, we're going to be speaking about uh, about pay gap. So that's also quite um, it's 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 interesting as well. Um, but it's also sometimes it can get a little bit uh, controversial as well. But obviously, when it comes to when it comes to pay gap, whether it's gender pay gap, whether it's um, um, you know, just the minimum wage, mm-hmm. or how much the the elite, the people who are at the top, um, the upper esh- uh, the upper esh- echelon, and how much they are getting paid. Um, but you know, their counterparts, their their co-workers, their subordinates, how little they're getting paid. People who are working um, at minimum wage, how how much money they're getting. But that is something that we're going to be speaking about a little bit later on as well. Some statistics um, as we get into. As we get into our first topic, during 2022 um, and with the beginning of uh, of this year, 2023, a series of industrial disputes and strikes occurred in various interest, uh, industries of the United Kingdom's economy. And you just mentioned, you just listed um, their their sort of uh, the calendar or you know their agenda for this for just this so month as well. Days, yes. Upcoming upcoming days as well. Now the strikes took place. Um, uh, you know, against the backdrop of a mounting cost of living crisis, mm-hmm. with information hitting uh, inflation hitting a 41-year high of uh, 11.1% in October, as household energy bills and food prices continue to squeeze incomes as well, and strikes have uh, dis- uh, you know disrupted everything from train services to postal deliveries, um, the hospital care, nurses, teachers, as you mentioned as well. So. Nearly every single um, sector, especially the public sector, we see the NHS, we see we see key workers, we see the ambulances, the fire brigades, um, we you know uh, rescue care, you know fire brigades and rescue care. We see uh, doctors, as I just mentioned as well, but also people on on, on the whole spectrum. They are you know they they're on this as well. It's, but even postal deliveries, yes, you know the Royal Mail. People weren't getting their parcels, and especially, you know, as in December, it was obviously it was the festive season. It was Christmas time, and every, you know, a lot of a lot of people want to send presents to each other to their family members and everything. Mm-hmm. And then when they get delayed, that can cause disruption as well. Of course, uh, and that's not that's not quite pleasant uh, as well. Also, some four hundred and seventeen thousand working days were lost to strikes in October, according to the Office for National Statistics as well. And that figure actually represents the highest monthly total since November 2011. Mm-hmm. So almost a decade ago, um, you know, this was uh, you know this was uh, this was the case. And the strikes began in June 2022. I mean, last year, after members of the National National Union of Rail um, and Transport Transport uh, Workers voted to strike over plan changes to their pay. And also working conditions as well, and obviously, you know, that's yes. that's one of their major concerns, isn't it? That they're not getting paid enough, Indeed. and also they're having to work not just very long hours, but extra hours, and they're not getting paid for for that as well. Uh, so this is, you know, this is one of the main reasons why they why they're striking. We know the cost of living is going up, but their pay is not meeting the income is not meeting their their cost of living, hmm. and obviously. If they're working long hours, they're going to get, you know, frustrated. You know, Shadil, you were just mentioning um, different um, workers, for example, nurses, teachers. They're all our key workers, right? They are, they're, they are really important for a society to function. Mm. And that's why, you know, a 
with these strikes, who is to blame? That's actually our question today yeah. to everyone to find out who is actually to blame for these strikes. Exactly. So obviously we have um, our callers with us, our guests with us today also, and then we'll be, we'll, we'll be talking to experts regarding this matter and finding out what is actually happening. But before that, you know, the Islamic point of view regarding this, you know, um, God Almighty and in, um, Islam requires a person to love his nation, right? It is quite clear, and therefore, that there cannot be any conflict of interest between a person's love for God and mm. the love for his um, country. So, you know, it, it, it being Hubulwatni um, Minal Iman is a saying, right? Which means um, you, the love for your country is part of your faith. You know, and also in the Holy Quran, chapter 4, verse 60, it is mentioned um, Allah the Almighty states, O ye who believe, obey Allah and obey the Prophet and obey those in authority from among you, Ulil mm. Amri Minkum, right? Yeah. So, you know, what this actually shows us in this very verse that, um, O ye who believe, right, obey Allah so, uh, and his Prophet and those who have been put in charge amongst you. Yeah. So, there's a really simple verse there. So, anyone who's, who's your, um, um, who has higher authority upon you, so you should listen to him. For example, um, if I'm working somewhere, your boss. You listen to him, or you go um, to um, different um, shops, right? You listen to the managers, or who are working there. So there's always a hierarchy, as someone above you, um, who, who who you are obeying for mm. the work. Mm. So you know, so that is how a, a society can function. If you're not listening to the leaders um, itself, how can a society be in, integra- um, integrated in the, uh, and, and, and be able to work. Exactly. I mean, it goes on, I mean, there's another verse in the Holy Quran as well where Allah the Almighty says in chapter 2, verse 13, create not disorder in the earth. And I think that's very, very yes. much important. And it's not, it, it's not just for, it's not just for the general public. This is, I mean, obviously, if you tell the general public to not cause disorder, that's very well understood, isn't it? You know, that it means to, to, for the public to not go out there, take the law into their own hands, and you know, cause disruption, cause chaos, cause havoc. Yes, that's that's understood. But also, it can be addressed to addressed to those people who are in authority, and those people who are in authority, you know, the government, the policymakers, you know, the leaders, um, especially especially in the developed countries, in the developed world and societies. That for them, it's important for them to not create disorder. Yes. It's important for them to have mm-hmm. justice and absolute justice, mm-hmm. not just look out for themselves for their friends, for their peers, for their sort of uh, political agendas, mm-hmm. but also look at their subordinates, look at their po- look at the general population. You know, if there's a government who are just looking out for themselves, mm-hmm. but they're not looking after the public, they're not looking after the working sector, uh, they're not looking after, you know, those who are m- uh, most vulnerable, then, then that's also, you know, this can also be addressed to them to not create disorder in the earth. Because yes. obviously, if you're not giving them their rights, they're gonna get distra- They're gonna get frustrated. They're gonna, uh, you know, their emotions are gonna get uh, uh, hurt. And obviously, then, then all of these thing, different things like strikes and other things come into play as well. Yes, you know, um, when you were mentioning this verse, um, creating no not disorder on, yeah. um, on the face of earth, right? Yeah. I just remember a couple of weeks back we were talking about about protests. Do they actually help? Hmm. And you know, when you said regarding when you just mentioned the verse, and something came in my mind. You know when. There, there was protests happening regarding turmoil, uh, regarding oil and climate change, yeah. and people uh, um, blocked off M twenty five, which mm-hmm, is creating mm-hmm. disorder because yeah. it's it's for their safety. It's you know you're putting yourself in risk. If for example, if does, someone doesn't know something's happening in front of, uh, of them, and something uh, an accident can happen or anything can happen, right? Hmm. 
and so on. Obviously, we'll speak more this later. But yeah, and we have with us our first caller. Um, it's Dr. Hugh Cook, um, who is an associate professor in employment relations and a HR, HR, HRM at Leeds University Business School. And his area of expertise are in strate- strategic HRM, HRM implementations and HRM outcomes and job stress and trade union partnership, adult skills and training, job satisfaction. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome him on the show. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Dr. Howie. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Dr. You know, um, as we all know, um, the strikes are happening and, and uh, we have upcoming strikes also. But with this, I want to ask my question. In the UK, the end of 2022 was marked by mass industrial unrest as um, employees from various industries took strike actions and the start of 2023 will bring further stoppage. Why, in your opinion, the, the issue um, are taking such long to resolve between the government and the unions? Yeah, in short, uh, the answer to that is a, a lack of dialogue and negotiation between unions and the relevant employers. So in many cases, that is uh, national governments. In, mm-hmm. in other cases, it might be employers or local governments. But just to give some context, uh, strikes are effectively a last resort, especially uh, regarding pay. We, we have inflation running at around 10% uh, within a context of um, relative pay restraint in the public sector. Uh, so we have a cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the many of these uh, sectors who are, uh, are are undertaking industrial action, they know they have significant labour market power. So by that we mean that we're not uh, we, we're not uh, we do not have an abundance of new recruits waiting to be paramedics, for example. We have a shortage of nurses in the NHS. Mm-hmm. So really, there's a very strong position. Uh, that the unions hold, uh, uh, certainly these public sector unions, the healthcare unions, and they're unlikely to walk away from this without a settlement. They may do so for meaningful talks, but uh, as yet we've we've seen, uh, I guess, seen little of that. Okay, um, Doctor, do you know, I wanted to ask um, regarding, you know, when these strikes are happening, especially when the nurses are going on strikes, what's happening? Um, will there be a massive um, aftershock or, or uh, aftermath or effects regarding these um, um, strikes which are happening on, on the hospitals? Well, I mean, that, that's probably a question more for, for hospital managers yes. uh, and, and those who, who orchestrate workers. But look, I mean, we have a a significant shortage of nurses I think in the best of times Mm -hmm. so where we are this industrial action yes is going to have a significant effect and that's what I mean when I talk about labor market power okay nurses nurses will know Mm -hmm. that there is a shortage of nurses that they are uh, in some cases will claim to be over overworked so yes this is going to have a knock-on effect I mean I think they are to the best of my knowledge providing uh, what they call a minimum service level so emergency care life-saving care for yes. example uh, but then there are there are already significant backlogs um, to the best of our knowledge so those will uh, will indeed add up yes mm-hmm. thank you so much um, we also know that the annual rate of uh, inflation reached 11.1 uh, percent in October 2022 uh, a 41-year high according to the government a 10 percent pay rise would cost Britain's 28 million households 
thousand uh, pounds a year in higher taxes. Uh, do you agree to these figures? Okay, so I'm not a, an economist, and I've not done the done the maths myself. So I will draw on the uh, Institute for Fiscal Studies. Mm-hmm. Now they don't agree with that figure of 28 billion. Now they put the bill or the excess bill, if you like, at between 13 to 18 billion. But what we also need to consider here is that the 10% pay rise is very unlikely to be the outcome of any negotiated settlement. What is probably more likely is, let's say, something around a a 7% pay rise. Seems to be, or or looks like it might be acceptable to many of the unions engaging in action. So if we were to deduct the 3% pay rise already offered from that, that's already on the table, Uh, then factoring in the return to the Treasury of, of higher income tax receipts, that 28 billion becomes something around the region of 5 billion. Uh, and that would be if it were divided equally by every household in the country, which, of course, tax isn't. That would be around the £200 mark. Um, but, of course, households pay tax proportionally on income. Um, but I think really the bigger question here, uh, and it's a question the country needs to ask itself, it's a question that the country's government needs to address, is how much we actually value nurses, healthcare workers, ambulance drivers, etc. Now, at the moment, we are struggling to attract new workers into this profession. Um, what would be the consequences of an even smaller workforce or an even less engaged workforce mm-hmm. in these key sectors? Uh, and I think that's that's a serious question we need to address. Hugh, in your in your in your uh, opinion, what do you think needs to be done? You know. Bottom line, I mean, obviously we know that the strikes are happening. What needs to be done by the government now and obviously, you know, by unions um, to end this uh, this current series of, you know, industrial action? Yeah, sure. Uh, in short, sit down and negotiate. Um, now, we do know at the moment that the government is looking to legislate on minimum service levels. Um, but I think there's a question there around to what extent will that fix the problem Um or to what extent will that make the problem worse? Um, I mean, that, for example, they're talking about potential as part of this legislation, maybe sacking workers for engaging in industrial action. Now, that seems to me quite bizarre, really, given that we already have a, very, a significant shortage of workers in many of these professions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the government needs to accept, I guess, that without some settlement this strike these strikes are not going to go away in turn unions need to be realistic about their pay demands but at the same time i think we need to recognize that pay demands are not necessarily demands they're a starting point for a negotiation so for example i saw on the the front page of one of our broadsheet newspapers a couple of days ago a story saying that the uh, general secretary of the royal college of nurses was willing to meet the government halfway well Hmm. That really should be taken as a given. What's yeah. going on here or what should be going on is a negotiation. And we start with a figure and we end up somewhere in the middle. Um, so I, I think this really needs to move away, be moved away from a political issue and treated as a negotiation. Now, just leading on, just leading on from the governments, you know, sort of, uh, and we, we're sort of seeing that as well. They they intend to make industrial action illegal in some sectors of uh, of minimum service. If you know if if minimum level services are not actually met now, and this would actually require a proportion of union members to actually 
um, continue working. What's your what's your opinion? What's your opinion on this? Are they even allowed to 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 make it illegal? Well, the uh, unions so far have said that they have claimed that that is uh, not legal, and they will uh, that they will take legal action with it. But I think let's let's look at the likely outcome or effect of legislating against strike action. Hmm. So the proposal is to put in a minimum service levels. Okay, so will that fix the problem? So let's take nurses, for example. Uh, To the best of our knowledge, they are already providing minimum service levels uh, when when they're on strike. Let's take, on the other hand, ambulance drivers, paramedics. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there, I think given that you you very often you'll be waiting hours for an ambulance on the best of times, you know, without any on strike, what is a minimum service level Mm -hmm. is probably when they're all at work and everything is is working fine. Mm. So... Moving on from that, there's the proposal for, for sacking workers for uh, participating in industrial action. I think the, the outcome of that is going to lead potentially to a, an, an even smaller workforce. But looking at the employment relations outcomes here, so trust, consent, respect between employers and employees are essential to maximise productivity, and they're also key to avoiding future strikes, future industrial action. and legislating against workers trying to uh, move their wages up in line with inflation, that's very likely to worsen employment relations. And a final point on this is to just be cautious of the direction of travel that this takes the country in, where we would be creating laws that effectively force people into work or make it illegal not to work. That has the potential to take the country in a direction that maybe some people might not be happy with. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what I wanted um, sort of you to say or lead towards as well, because isn't isn't doing that, isn't making it illegal to actually go on strikes or actually get your opinion across and, uh, you know, in a, in a dignified manner, you know, such as strikes, peaceful strikes as well, isn't making that illegal a fascist sort of direction? I mean, what you were leading to? I mean, I don't want to say that the government is doing something which is, you know, is, is you know, practicing fascism. But is it leading towards that? Well, it's it's. Uh, we already have some of the most restrictive trade union laws in the developed world. So we're starting from a position where unions find it very difficult to operate and to 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 win ballots to take action. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't go down the route of saying this is a, a fascist policy mm. by. Uh, our current government. Uh, however, what it does potentiate is the ability for the government to restrict the freedoms uh, of people who work in this country. Absolutely. Dr. Hugh Cook, thank you so much for, for joining us this afternoon. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and your, getting your expertise and your opinions uh, about this. Uh, thank you so much once again. Peace be upon you. Have Likewise. a nice day. Pleasure and thank you for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Dr. Hugh Cook was Associate Professor in Employment Relations at uh, HRM at Leeds University Business School. It was a pleasure speaking to him as well. It's, it, it is interesting, isn't it? How a, if, you know, if a government does um, sort of make it illegal um, to, for people to, for unions to be created or for them to actually go on strike, for workers to go on strikes, I mean, it's forcing them to work. It, it, it does 
put them in a difficult situation as well. Isn't you know, Shajil, with this, right? Um, you know, making illegal mm. someone, you're taking away some freedom of theirs, yeah, right? Exactly. So exactly. where does freedom of expression, freedom of speech go then? So, so you can't just take anything away because then, then all other questions will arise regarding this. So, mm. for example, if you take away the unions, um, the nurses have, the doctors have, the f- um, fire, all these key workers have, right? If you take those away from them, mm. who is there to support them? Hmm. Right. If I'm, for example, um, working somewhere, I know there's a group out there looking after me, so I can go to them. I ask them, okay, this is my problem. Can you please help and guide me? Hmm. So the unions are mostly to guide them, right? Exactly. They're, they're here to help them to be um, have a better, um, um, better life in, in this society. I mean, also, you know, when I'm not saying this is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is. When governments or leaders or people who are in authority, when they, when they, you know, when they cancel sort of the opinions or don't allow the public to raise their opinions and tell them that, you know, if you have opinions, keep it to yourself. You can't raise those opinions. You can't raise any objections. Mm -hmm. And whatever policy I say, whatever policy I put in place, you have to abide by that. That is, you know, for me, that is, you know, that is completely wrong. I'm, like I said, I'm not saying that is what mm-hmm. the government is doing. I'm not saying that is what we're sort of uh, leading towards. But this is, you know, this is a very dangerous um, position that they can actually put themselves in. Because obviously, if you're if you're trying to cancel them, if you're if you're telling them that you know you can't raise your opinions, mm-hmm. you can't say anything that you want to say against me, you can't raise any objections against me, then that's wrong. Perfect. Thank you. You know, we have our second guest on with us, Dr. Shabina Asad Kayyum, who is a speak a spokesperson for EverydayDoctor.org.uk. She is a GP, uh, holds a Bachelor of Science degree, MBBS, MRC, GP, which means membership of the Royal Colleague of um, College of um, General Practic- uh, Practitioners and DFSRH. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome her on the show. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you. Alaikum assalam. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, doctor, um, I wanted to ask, uh, what is um, and the organization Everyday Doctor? Um, Every Doctor, sorry. Uh, sorry, what is the organization Every yes. Doctor? So we are an organization that represents doctors all throughout the United Kingdom, more especially um, regarding and representation of the problems that doctors are facing currently within the NHS Mm -hmm. and we're a representative body of thousands of doctors all across the country and um, we do lobby some of the causes that especially pertain to doctors within the NHS workforce and hope to lobby and make representations uh, to hold government and other organisations to account. Perfect. There's, um, you know, doctor, I wanted to ask, you know, all these um, strikes which are happening are also the upcoming strikes. Will it have uh, a um, effect um, afterwards on the hospitals? Well, the fact of the matter is that our hospitals are already affected. Yes. The fact of the matter is that we are in the midst of a winter crisis. The fact of the matter is that our doctors have been operating on the back of severe lack of resource, Mm -hmm. severe burnout after coming out of the COVID pandemic. And it's on the back of those lack of resource that our doctors have been made to work under incredibly challenging conditions. And quite frankly, striking is not a position that any professional takes very easily. We've seen up and down the country, other professions that have come out and taken strike action. Mm -hmm. But actually enough is enough. This government wants 
doctors on the front line who's taking care of this country during the COVID pandemic to work under increasingly difficult situations, which is having an impact on their mental well-being, causing burnout, and actually productive doctors that don't thrive mentally aren't able to be productive in the workplace either. So it's either a, a matter of safeguarding that. And the only way that the government is going to listen is through striking, because negotiations we've seen or any other way of lobbying hasn't worked, quite frankly. So, yes, very sadly, it will look like the services may be affected, but there are other organisations and there are other people that um, are, are happy to support doctors in their pledge to fight for better working conditions within the NHS. Dr. Shamina, uh, you know, keeping this, uh, you know, bearing this in mind, the uh, and also the, the, the current economic crisis, how, how long do you think that it will take... Um, for for actually a substantial change in the NHS, how long do you think that it will take for any sort of positive outcome to be uh, to be drawn from this? And also, what does the government need to do? I mean, are, are strikes are, are they even listening to the strikes? That's the thing. Um, the the government we've just seen only recently in the last twenty four hours with other health professionals that the government aren't willing to negotiate rates of pay at all with our colleagues such as nurses who work on the front line as well, which is incredibly, incredibly disappointing. But in answer to your question, let's not dismiss the fact that the NHS has been subjected to cuts since 2010 when the government under David Cameron was um, um, sort of cut and freed public sector pay. Thereon, we have seen a substantial decimation of funding to fundamental services, things like mental health, secondary care, primary care, which is where GPs work. Um, and it's become incredibly difficult. Now, I know that the government scapegoats um, problems like COVID and, and the pandemic for being a reason as to why um, they, the increasing challenges have made it difficult. But if you look at the other resources in which they've pumped millions of money into, we've had um, defunctive and um, not-fit-for-purpose PPE and contracts, crony contracts being awarded to people that, that have them. I mean, you know, if they got their priorities right, they certainly did have the money at that time to give out all these crony contracts, and it's about time that they got their priorities right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I, mean, I want to not sort of get into the politics or the nitty-gritty. I don't want to sort of, you know, start a blame game, start pointing fingers. But just before the um, the you know, the COVID pandemic, we did we did go through Brexit. Uh, do you think that Brexit has also had a sort of uh, impact in this as well? Where a lot of um, a lot of foreign nurses, doctors, profession professionals, they actually left the country because you know because of Brexit, and then the staff which remained, they're having to work. For, they're being forced to work long hours. Do you think that is so, also a possibility? Um, I think that it's really important to categorically state that every doctor is an apolitical organisation. Our job is to hold the current government who are making the decisions to account. And from with respect to your, your question, in terms of answering that, I am a GP who practices here in the city of Peterborough in East Anglia. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in 50 years after Brexit has taken place, we have a lack of HCAs who are healthcare assistants. And that has been something that um, we've never seen before. Mm. Apart from that, we have seen a shortage of doctors. We are 
the second largest deficit within the region of having a 40% deficit of GPs. Likewise, doctors have been driven out in their droves. They've gone abroad, they've gone to the Middle East, they've gone to Australia to find a better working life. And a lot of it has been exacerbated by Brexit. However, we live in the moment, at this moment in time, we're in the midst of a, of a um, winter crisis after a COVID pandemic, patients are suffering, and we refuse to work under such substandard conditions anymore. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, you know, um, for your opinions uh, and your contribution as well, Dr. Shabina. Uh, thank you so much once again. Have a, have a lovely day. It's very thank interesting you. speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Now, it's... Like we were mentioning before as well with our with our previous guest, Dr. Hugh, Dr. Hugh Cook, that um, it is something which uh, you know which these professions, uh, with these professions, and also of course the professionals which are working in these professions, especially the public sector, they are being forced. Um, they're being forced into this position. I mean, they're literally being cornered, um, you know, in, into the corner, and then being forced to work. There's mm-hmm. no there's no way out of it. And for the government to say. That you know they're not even going to listen to any uh, you know to, to anything about the pay uh, you know about the increase of pay. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know it's I mean what you know what Doctor Shabina just said as well. It, it definitely does put them in a difficult position as it, well, isn't it? You know, as she even just mentioned, um, the doctors are being put um, over hours. They have to work extra hours. They are tired, and you know they've been um, being affected mentally right now. So you know the force obviously. Uh, is there, but we need to obviously um, manage them also mm. because um, or it, it's all about uh, you know if you look after the doctors, um, if the government looks after doctors, right, it will look um, look after the people who are in need. Mm. So if the doctors are tired, if they're mentally in, um, um, tired, if if they're burned out, how can they diagnose someone who's coming up to them? Exactly, exactly. But it, it, that's Indeed. the thing, isn't it? That's the know, thing. We, I have so much respect for doctors who are mm. working extra hours every single day to make sure that the people um, who are coming to them are getting the treatment they need. Mm. But obviously, if if there's one doctor and there's 20 patients to be looked after on one doctor, for example, just an, I'm giving as an example. An example yeah. So obviously he, he has to, or he or she has to go through those patients a, as soon as possible, so they, um, they can look after them, right? So if the, if you have one doctor on every 20, for example, and this it will burn out the doctor quicker, right? And if you have, for example, five people on a one doctor, so he uh, he or she can look after that um five people or patients quicker and diagnose what the illness they have and then help them out instead of having ten or twenty on them, which they will uh, which they will have to work quicker. So make sure that they everyone is getting treated time on treat um the treatment on time. Treatment on time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, if the doctors are getting burned out, how will that affect? the patients are coming up to them for help exactly exactly i mean that's what it is isn't it Indeed. that's what it is i mean it's it's a chain reaction where you know if one person is affected it will definitely affect the next uh the next person in line um we have a next guest who is on the line with us as well dr deepa govindarajan uh, peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show thank you very much thank you for having me thank you so much um we, uh, your program director, MS, uh, MSC's financial regulation and uh, market and capital markets as well, regulation and compliance, a lecturer in governance, regulation and risk. It's a pleasure to have you on. Do, do you think that 
The events of uh, recent industrial action in the UK uh, can be compared with the strikes back in 1970s? Well, um, you know, if, if you think of back to the strikes in, in the 1970s, and I, I guess quite a number of your viewers may not have been around, while others may have been mm. around. Yeah. So one of the important things that happened then was the change in the, um, in the prices of fuel, which, uh, which have great parallels to the situation today. And so that, of course, affected various other things. And that resulted over time in people having a standard of living such that, uh, like today, they are unable to pay their bills and they're in a situation where they go into strike. The only difference between the 1970s and now, to my the main difference to my mind, is that, firstly, the, the crisis created today, much like the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, is a crisis created by... Um, by the British state, the American state, and their allies. So this is not, um, this is a crisis manufactured by the NATO states. Um, that's not to say that Russia is blameless, but it is to explain the context within which we're having these fuel shortages. Secondly, the problem for Britain in particular is not one of necessarily um, being affected by the war happening in Ukraine and the people who are being displaced there and um, who are suffering there, but it's, it's to do with um, price gouging by uh, companies who are being extremely greedy and who are using this as an opportunity to profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there is, you know, so there are some parallels in the sense of the fuel shortage, etc., but the, the difference today is a very corrupt government and um, very corrupt companies that are trying to make the most of uh, a, a very difficult situation and are profiting from death and destruction. Um, what is your opinion about the staff across uh, the higher and further education um, uh, are, which are going for, for strikes? Um, thank you for asking me that question. As you, prob- as you viewers probably know, I'm um, a national negotiator for the university and college union, which represents staff across uh, universities and colleges and prison education and adult education across the UK. So um, our staff are on strike in both further education, uh, where there are there is a long-term issue with pay and conditions and with respectful treatment of staff and equalities. So um, in many colleges, you will see that the resources are so um, so minimized in terms of spending on staff, but staff are in a position where I, I mean, I'm hearing horrific stories like staff having to live in halfway homes mm-hmm. in order to be able to get to work on time because wow. they can't afford the fare in and they can't, um, you, you know, they, they can't afford to lose their job. So, so it's quite difficult in, uh, for some of our colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then in higher education, we have two ongoing disputes for which I'm very grateful for the student solidarity and the solidarity from the various community groups that we have seen. In the first um, fight that we're having is on pay and equalities. And staff in higher education have, um, for the last over a decade, have have had their pay not keep up with inflation. And this is a problem not just in higher education, but as you can see from the strikes with the RMT, with the nurses, mm-hmm. with our comrades in the postal workers, 
um, this is a problem across everywhere where companies are profiting, uh, universities are profiting, people at the top are profiting, government is profiting, but ordinary working people are not being paid fairly. Mm-hmm. Then you have also problems of equalities where we have extensive casualization. So some of the very top universities, 75% of research staff are on casualized contracts. That means that they can't tell between uh, whether they should, you know, set up a home in a particular city or attend an evening class or have a family because they don't know whether in two weeks' time, in three months' time, they will have a contract. So it's the deliverization of higher education. And these are people who have spent years and years, many of them, to study for a bachelor's and a master's and potentially a PhD. Many of them have huge amounts of experience. They're doing important work that supports young people in our country. And yet they're not being paid fairly. So that's the pay inequalities dispute. And the second is the pensions dispute. And this is something that your listeners will be shocked about. Mm-hmm. In April 2022, um, our employers said to us that they were going to cut 35 plus percent of our future guaranteed pension. Mm-hmm. 35 plus percent. Can you imagine taking a 35 percent pay cut today? No, no none of us would be able to. And that's what they're intending to do to us in our old age. And they said there was a pensions deficit of about 14 billion in our pension fund. Mm-hmm. Now, most people, when they think there's a deficit, they think you're, uh, you know, you're spending more than you're earning. That's why there's a deficit in your personal bank account. But pensions don't work that way. Pension deficits relate to how you project the future. Okay. And these people used extremely, extremely um, unhelpful and un, un uh, I would say, untrustworthy in some senses models to predict a 14.1 billion pound deficit as a result of which they cut our pensions. We now know from three different you know, pieces of information and, and information from the most recent quarter even, that the scheme is in fantastic health. It's in a surplus of over five billion pounds. That's 20 billion difference between what they said and what we have. Mm-hmm. So we're asking for our pensions to be returned in full, both for the year that was missed and for the years going ahead. The pension scheme is in a position to pay it back, and mm-hmm. it's up to employers to avoid a dispute that is deeply damaging for students, because they won't have to pay a penny extra, you know. They just have to agree that our pensions can be returned to us. Yes. That needs to be done as soon as possible. So that's, those are our disputes, and we hope that many of you who will see us on picket lines, mm-hmm. you'll see our pink beanies, please come and say hello, and please come and give us your solidarity. We're always grateful to hear from you. And... Um, yeah, thanks so much for allowing me to speak for... Uh, no worries. Doctor, um, I wanted to ask, I'm uh, sorry, um, one, more, one question. You know, going into strikes, right? So what mm-hmm. do you think um, will be achieved for the trade unions, can achieve um, from this object uh, um, going into strikes? So I think whether it is university workers mm-hmm. or uh, rail workers or uh, teachers or nurses... It's the people who are on the front line, the essential workers, who are saying, hang on a second, we're not able to pay our bills. This is not a question of people wanting to profit. But what they're saying is ordinary people deserve a decent life. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have riches and luxuries. 
But we want to be able to not have to worry every day whether we will not be able to pay our bills, whether we will be able to afford to go to work, whether we will be able to... You know, nurses using food banks is a disgrace in a country which considers itself an advanced country. Mm-hmm. So trade unions are doing what trade unions have done before, which is to uplift the standards of living, of working people. The reason you have a two-day weekend is because trade unions fought for it. The reason we have working time regulations is because trade unions fought for it. Mm -hmm. The reason we have uh, decent working conditions in a, in a number of sectors, which have, of course, been degraded by 10 years of this dastardly Tory government and the Blairite Labour government before it. The reason we, we had all these rights before was because trade unions fought for it. And it's important that the trade union movement comes together and has the strength, because part of fighting on the picket line is strengthening each other through solidarity, just like we do through faith, as you do through Islam, through um, through any other faith, which mm-hmm. is the solidarity of our communities to bring people together to say we want a better and a fairer life and a more just life and one where we treat each other with dignity and respect. Indeed. Now, and that's what trade unions are fighting for mm-hmm. and what we are hoping to win. Doctor, um, uh, another question just came up in my mind. I wanted to ask, um, sure. um, you know, we, as we are just emerging from the pandemic and and these um, strikes are, are starting um, straight after it, roughly, um, mm-hmm. a couple of months apart. But is it not affecting our children also, our youngsters, um, because they were just scared for, of the pandemic and suddenly there's strikes happening and they're just thinking what's happening in this world right now? Sure. You know, to, to some extent, it's really important that we recognise that uh, the people who are profiting from the pandemic by, you know, mis-selling PPE, by stealing from the NHS, by locking down and creating conditions where um, people are isolated, are also the people who are, they are the same people who are profiting from not paying people a fair wage. Mm-hmm. And what we, the best thing we can do for our children is, and for our students, is to fight now so that they have a decent future. We don't want to consign our children to a future where they're all living like delivery uh, drivers on casualized contracts, where they're not treated fairly, where they're working incredible hours in very low standards. Mm -hmm. What we want is for everybody to have good education, free education. My union and I both advocate for free higher education for all, for free post-16 education. And we also advocate for for people to be, you know, who are working in higher education with universities that are charging students vast amounts of money, over £9,000 in some cases mm-hmm. a year, plus housing, this for them to be paying their staff fairly because they can afford to do so, rather mm-hmm. than paying consultants and people who are at the top extraordinary wages or b- building new shiny buildings in order to gain rankings. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Doctor. It was a pleasure listening to you and enlightening our listeners and myself also with your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Exactly. So this was Dr. Amdeepa Govinda Rajan, who is a, um, a program director. And you know, she, the, the way she enlightened us um, regarding the work, pay, um, regarding the pay um, differences and 
if it, it actually helps us, and also when we asked our last question regarding you know the students and the pay, oh, sorry, the students are being scared or children are being scared of suddenly emerging from, it, but they are fighting for their future. Mm-hmm. So you know, but for our listeners, um, I wanted to just tell them you know th- um, there was major strikes which happened in the past also. Yeah. You know, in 1926, uh, there was a strike for nine days, and around 1.7 million workers went on strike in the UK and it is often referred as the biggest strike in the British history the general strike of 1926 it is called and it was about attempt to prevent wages and condition reduction for 1.2 million coal miners and then the miners strike of 1972 was the first official miners strike and it happened uh, since the um, 1926 um, general strike mm-hmm. and it this plunged uh, britain into a darkness and the government declared a state of emergency so then there are two sides that's happening here hmm. we can see from history so one side is showing okay the betterment uh, for the future but also and uh, there's a downfall a darkness for the present time suddenly so hmm. there's a sudden darkness um, where they had to emerge again from basically from let's go from 100 to 0 and then start again from 0 to 100 yeah exactly so you had the winter of um, 1978 and 79 and it's it's also known as the winter of discontent as widespread uh, widespread strikes across multiple trade unions brought britain to a standstill You know, in 1978 and 79, there was a standstill of work, mm. um, of of trade, and all that was happening. You know, and then um, what's it called? The widespread of an unrest that led the fall of a Labour government, as the Conservatives um, under Margaret Thatcher returned the power via a landslide victory in the 1979 elections. The Tories passed legislation that regist- um, restricted the power of the trade union. and then during the early 1980s cheap imports had led to a dis- uh, it, it, to a closure of many factories and coal pits the num decided to go on strike on 6th of march 1984 controversially uh, the, the strike's action had been called by num uh, without a vote by 1985 it was all over with the miners backing down and agreeing to return to work mm-hmm. so obviously that's if there's a strike happening and the demands are not fulfilled the workers the working class they have to go work yeah. or go back and work and provide for the family hmm. if you're elite and rich you, you still have some money in the pit right yeah. and but as a working class you have to work to be able to provide hmm. for your for yourself hmm. and for your family or clo- or you close um, friends and family mm-hmm. um, let's look at the uh, Islamic point uh, what the Holy Quran says in the Holy Quran in chapter 4 God Almighty says that all ye who believe be strict in observing justice and be witness witnesses for Allah even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred whether he be rich or poor Allah is more regardful of them both than you are Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. So, you know, in order to observe justice in this world, both leaders and, you know, the um, ordinary people as well, mm-hmm. especially, you know, if this, you know, leaders, they, they look at this, this, and, and this point of view or, or this verse, You know, see that even if you have to go against your own will or against your own uh, family members or against your own 
parents, then you should do that. But you know, as long as you're you know um, observing justice, and uh, there's also a hadith uh, which is a, a saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him, where he said that by God who holds my life in his hand, none of you can be truly faithful as in a truly faithful Muslim mm -hmm. unless he liked for his brother what he liked for himself. And this is not only, you know, uh, addressed to Muslims only. So this is something for a Muslim should like every this exactly the same thing for mm -hmm. the fellow human being, which is also, you know, you can say brothers and, and, and sisters for us. So we should like exactly the same thing as as we like for ourselves for for our brethren right mm -hmm. and um, and and other ways you cannot um fulfill the justice or you cannot um uh observe the justice on earth because if you like something for yourself or your f for your family or for your nation but you don't like it for for others that will be unjust and and the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him is saying that you cannot be truly, you cannot call yourself a true Muslim or a, a, a person of faith if you do not like the same for your brother, mm -hmm. right? Another hadith I would like to quote of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessing of Allah, people, another saying of the Holy Prophet, where he says that those who are just and fair will be with Allah, most high on thrones of light at the right hand of the most merciful. Those who are just in their rulings and in their dealings with their families and those of whom they are in charge. I mean, uh, from the Holy Quran, uh, the word of God Almighty and the word of his messenger as well, we learn that you know, in order to um, you know, observe justice, we have to love exactly the same thing for our uh, fellow human beings, uh, the things that we like for ourselves, isn't mm -hmm. it? Indeed, you know, this topic of uh, today's Korea, you know, it's a vast topic and it's, yeah. you know, asking the strikes, who is to blame, mm. you know, and this topic, obviously, we, we are coming to the end of the hour also, but the, today for our listeners just to know that this topic will be discussed also after five o'clock today and we will be talking regarding um, who is actually to blame and then we have um, some guests after five o'clock news also um, on and there will be uh, ex experts who will be enlightening, uh, enlightening us with the words mm -hmm. of wisdom and you know the, with strikes which I have what I have learned right as a narration of, of the Holy Prophet um, Holy Prophet peace and blessings for Allah be upon him just came into my mind then you know, where, where the Holy Prophet said to uh, his companions you should pay um, the wages um, of a worker before the sweat dries hmm. right wow. so you know the work he or she has done it should yeah. be paid or um, the amount they should be the same the amount the, the the work they have done yeah so you know they should be paid um, before the sweat dry, dries should up. be a just payment it should basically. be a just payment system yeah. you know you know and there was there's quite a few narrations out there also where a to a, a a person went to a market and he said okay i'm here to buy such and such a thing yeah. i'll pay you t um, 200 dinar for it but the the, uh, the the guy who was selling said no it's for 500 dinar hmm. um um it, what's it called um oh, sorry um the um the person who was selling it he says for 200 and the person who came to buy it he says no it, actually the uh, the payment for this is for 500 yeah and you know this is the justice system which we should be uh, um, adopting yeah and you know this is how we can help out and hopefully eradicate and all uh, all the issues we have been yeah. by adopting the system yeah i mean uh, 
I mean, if if you don't have any greed, if you have the same love for your fellow human beings, you'll not only look at your own benefit, but you also try to look at what benefit will the people have as well. Indeed. I mean, and this is what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, upon him uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has taught us and the Quran has taught us. So, but the thing is, how much are we acting upon it? Mm-hmm. So this is what we have to Indeed. analyze. Of so course. stay with us and, and insh- um, um, we will be joining again after f- the five o'clock news and we were talking about this strikes, who is to blame? Here is your news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Auz billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of the Drive from Show where we are still discussing our first topic of today um, strikes. Who is to blame? Yeah, with this um, key um, things we, we were discussing, you know, um, who is going to strike? I did mention some um, key dates, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll just mention quickly who are actually going to strike. So, it, or who have gone to strike? So, it's the nurses, ambulance workers, border force people, railway workers, bus drivers, and driving examiners and teachers, university staff, and raw male workers. So there are just a few to mention um, who are, have gone or are going to, to strike. You know, with nurses, um, the, um, they, um, they are what, um, um, why they're going to strike is, is they want a, um, the union wants a rise of 19% of pay rise mm-hmm. and some say, and says that the government has not opened, are not open to talks. And for um, ambulance workers who are key workers, um, they are frontline workers who are the f- um, first at scene. And since uh, the ambulance workers in the England and Wales previously took action on the 21st December, some ambulance staff in England are to stage two, uh, are to stage two further strikes on the 11th and the 23rd of Jan. And strikes uh, will affect non-life-threatening calls only. The unions have asked for above inflation pay rates, pay rise, and the governments in England and Wales have given NHS staff an average rise of 4.75%. Wow. Hmm. You know, one thing, um, uh, when these strikes are happening, one thing, they are um, good, good, um, are well organized. So, for example, when the um, ambulance workers are going on strike, this, they're making sure that any life-threatening calls are made that are still being dealt mm. with right yeah. it's not like they just stop just the service and people are thinking what should we do now mm-hmm. how can we reach there now how can we get treatment obviously that's is this a reduced service yeah but there's one thing which is um how this if, if they're being organized that yeah. they're being professional about it and mm. saying okay if something is happening we still will deal with it if it's life tra- threatening at least yeah so that's uh, that's still commendable yeah. what they're doing obviously they could have said okay we're on strike we won't be doing anything for the part for the next two or four days. Um, how long they're going for strike? Yeah. But there's obviously a minimum um, 
um, working force which are actually still helping out and saying, okay, we're going on strike, but they will have um, X amount of workers to yeah. still helping everyone. So this is so beautiful, isn't it? I mean, when you look at the, you know, how, how, how we look at, the humanity as well. We, the love for humanity is seen in the people as well. That okay, not every single person is going on strike. Mm-hmm. So the sectors, and especially the health sectors, are not fully closed. So that you know, still treatments could be done as well. And you mentioned about um, uh, border force as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, about thousand border force staff went on strikes from the twenty third to the twenty sixth of December and twenty eight to 31st of December. Um, this was in Birmingham, Cardiff, Gatwick, Glasgow, Heathrow, um, Manchester Airport, and the port of New, New Haven. New Haven. Uh, the, the, all of these places were affected, of course. Um, we have our last guest for um, this topic, who is Ricardo La Torre, um, who is a national officer for Fire Brigades Union. Uh, with a small intro, I would like to welcome Ricardo. Um, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you for having me. Good evening. Thank you very much for being with us. Um, good evening. Um, what are the major challenges that are being faced by the firefighters? The firefighters at the moment have been facing over a decade of real terms pay cuts. That's why we find ourselves mm-hmm. in a ballot for strike action as we speak, a ballot that goes on until the 30th of January. And this is against the backdrop of over 10 years of real terms pay cuts, mm-hmm. which have seen firefighters lose more than £4,000 in real terms. So a firefighter's pay packet today is worth £4,000 less in real terms than it was 10 years ago. Um, at the same time, we're in a cost of living crisis. Um, firefighters are struggling. They're struggling to pay the rent. They're struggling to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, they're struggling to pay energy bills. Mm-hmm. So we've taken on various um, negotiations over the years to try and address the issue of low paying the fire and rescue service. Um, we've, in particular, we carried on um, working and taken on additional activities throughout the COVID pandemic, including really difficult activities such as moving the bodies of the deceased and driving ambulances. Um, ministers clapped firefighters, but when the clapping stopped, they were met with just yet another real terms pay cut. Um, that's now been rejected by firefighters and they've been left with no option but to ballot for strike action in response. Perfect. Ricardo, you know, I have a huge respect for firefighters because when I had to call them out and they were with me in the, in the next couple of minutes. You know, but I wanted to ask you, um, if the government agrees with your demands and and um, if they um, solve all your issues, um, what will happen after that? Well, absolutely. We've got strike action isn't inevitable. No firefighter wants to strike. We don't join the fire service to strike we turn the, we join the fire service to help people so you know we're happy to do whatever it takes to try and avoid strike action and, and we believe we've done that we've exhausted all avenues yet if now before strike action was taken before mm-hmm. you know, before the ballot was to end if if the employers were to come forward with a pay offer a fair pay offer that was agreeable to fbu members then they'd certainly they'd certainly considered that mm-hmm. um, and, and alongside the pay issue, the funding has other effects on safety for safety for firefighters and safety for 
communities because in that same period that we've seen pay drop, mm-hmm. central government funding to the fire service has been cut by approximately 30%, and that means we've lost nearly 12,000 firefighters since mm-hmm. 2010. There simply aren't enough of us left to perform our role safely, and I think we saw that in the recent heat wave in July and August where we saw firefighters hospitalised trying to deal with those incidents at a time where they simply couldn't get the resources and the backup that they needed mm-hmm. to find the ground because of the cuts. Yeah, there was a bill presented today about a minimal level of care needs to be provided. So in the case of firefighter, isn't this essential? It's, so we believe that that's an attack on our democracy. Firefighters, <coughs> uh, historically, so if we look at the our pension strikes back in 2015 and even the discussions surrounding the current ballot, we've made voluntary collective agreements about contacting members so um, to voluntarily return to work in the event of a major incident occurring whilst mm-hmm. we was on strike. But the key there is voluntarily. Um, because to force somebody to work against their will, um, if you're named to be part of the minimum service and you have to work during a strike, despite the fact that you voted democratically for strike action, then that's a removal of quite a fundamental democratic freedom. There's other ways to avoid mm-hmm. losing the fire service to industrial action, and that's by sensible industrial act, um, sensible industrial relations and treating your workforce fairly mm-hmm. and paying them and paying them fairly. But we already have some of the worst anti-trade union laws in Europe. We already have to meet thresholds in a strike ballot, which we don't apply to any other area of democratic life, yet it's based on us. And even if we now meet those thresholds, this new bill being proposed is saying that we will remove democracy at the workplace door and we will force you to work against your will or you will, will pursue you and your union through the courts. It's an incredibly authoritarian and draconian proposal by this government. Thank you, Ricardo, you know, for enlightening us today with the words of your wisdom and hopefully our listeners have learned something new regarding um, the firefighters who are uh, our frontline workers. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Take care. So this was Ricardo Latore and he is a national officer of the Fire Brigades Union. You know, um, Zakaria, I always have respect for firefighters because I have seen them firsthand. I had experience with them firsthand. Within two minutes, they were with me Mm -hmm. when I thought um, my car had caught on fire. And that's why I always respect firefighters uh, in that sense because Mm. I know they're risking their lives to save our lives. Yeah, they certainly risk their own life to, you know, save others as well and the way they uh, i mean i had an opportunity once to go for a training uh, mm-hmm. firefighting uh, you know to their the place and it's very fascinating the the way it's built as well and mm-hmm. it's um, in literally in, in in less than a minute or so and you know they have to get ready or um, you know or in few minutes i can say get ready and and leave the place wherever whenever they hear something um uh, you know when whenever there is a uh, emergency happening of course um exactly sorry i wanted to ask you know we've been talking about um strikes and yeah. uh, throughout this show now but have any disputes been resolved so far or not um 
Well, some workers have um, settled disputes. Uh, Network Rail workers in the TSSA union voted to accept a 5% pay increase this year Mm -hmm. with a 4% next year and a guarantee of no compulsory uh, redundancies until 2025. Uh, The criminal barristers in England and Wales accepted a 15% pay rise in October. 2,000 arrival bus drivers in London won a uh, 11% pay deal as well. Um, Some of the BT workers agreed a pay deal with up to 16%. Uh, Health workers who are members of the Unite Unite and Unison of Scotland, including Mm -hmm. Some of the paramedics, nurses, midwives and support staff accepted a um, 7.5% pay deal in December. I mean, yes, you can say so. There, there are, Some of them are resolved, but still, mm-hmm. you know, it's ongoing, I guess. Wow. So, you know, just adding to that, um, just to, so, you know, just to add to that, um, yes. the government did release a bill today, um, a bill which is unjust Mm -hmm. something the workers would not be happy with uh, especially they're the frontline workers so the bill that they're demanding or putting forward to become a law is that they should um, the workers should not be doing these strikes and if they do do strikes they could be sacked from their work and ricardo just touched upon this as well how, how the firefighters would be affected so and one of our previous um, guests also spoke about um, how these sanctions and how these um, uh, bills could be affecting all a lot of the, the workers at the front line. Mm-hmm. And responding to this, uh, the union trade, they've also mentioned, um, the, the, the head have also mentioned that this is undemocratic, no. it's unworkable mm-hmm. and it is illegal. And we see that union trade have so far they worked for equal rights for mm-hmm. the workers. They they are the reason why people, working sector people, are having weekends off. Mm-hmm. They are the reason why most people get a equal they get enough pay. Mm-hmm. So this bill, if it was to pass, other people have also suggested that it could also lead to more strikes, which would cause more havoc within the government and the society. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, um, so uh, of course you know yeah, this we, topic is really long. It's very long. We can go on and go on, Indeed. but uh, of course um, you know we also have to touch upon the other topic, which you know uh, which we promised that we will be covering, which is the pay gap, um, the ethnic minorities, minorities, and women still missing out. Uh, so this is a topic that we will be starting, but. Before that, I would like to say that uh, His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, uh, the uh, current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, stated at the 8th Annual Peace Symposium in London, he said that we have always implemented the teachings of Islam that you should never take the law into your own hands and always keep the best interests of your country in view and never create disorder. Because that is a, this is a requirement of true love for your country. Wherever in the world Ahmadis reside, no matter which country they originate from, for the sake of attaining Allah's pleasure, they always steer clear of all forms of disorder. 
And this is the conduct that one day will not only save the world from anar anarchy. In fact, it will be the guarantor of world peace. In terms of the role of our community, the Ahmadi Muslim Jamaat, we hold a passionate desire to establish peace and to end cruelty in light of the true Islamic teachings. So with this, I would like to end the today's first hour topic or the first topic and we will be back with you uh, with the second topic of today after a short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show at Voice of Islam. We, um, as promised, we will be discussing about a very important topic, which is the pay gap. Um, and the pay gap that we have uh, between women and men, the pay gap that we have between the ethnic minorities and the ordinary people. So um, who are, is missing out? And we will also be covering the Islamic um, point on what Islam teaches us in regards to uh, the rights of every single person and I believe Saadi gave a very beautiful example as well of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him where he said that um, uh, the payment of a, a worker should be given even before his or her let's say uh, sweat dries out Indeed. so that means you know immediately it will it should be given to them but also um, that means you know every single person they should deserve whatever they deserve they should receive it. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can always um, uh, phone us at 020-8687-7878. And also you could email us at info at voiceofislam.co.uk. And in order to listen to our um, previous shows or maybe this show again, you can also visit soundcloud.com slash voiceofislam. Um, and this is, you know, uh, we were also active in all sorts of uh, social media platforms, um, especially at Twitter. So if you, um, you know, type in at Voice of Islam UK, you will find us in all sorts of um, uh, social media platforms. Um, so just to start off um, the pay gap, uh, what is it? What, what sort of, um, you know, problems do we have in regards to the pay gap, uh, Saad? So, you know, Zakir, you was mentioning you know, pay gap, there are different um, angles of it. So first, there's a gender one, mm -hmm. then you have the eth ethnicity, and then you have also race, um, which are being compared. But okay. according to the data from the Office for National Statistics, ONS, the overall gender pay gap in the UK was 13.1% in April 2021. This means that on average, women in the UK earned 13.1% less than men. The pay gap is even larger for certain groups of women, such as black and Asian women, mm -hmm. um, who face additional barriers to pay um, equity due to discrimination and bias. 
you know, efforts are, however, being made um, to um, address the pay gap in the UK, including legislation and policies that aim to promote pay um, equality um, uh, and fair wages, as well as initiatives uh, to increase the representation and the advancement of underrepresented groups in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Wor- workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, according to the agenda pay gap uh, report, there has always been a pay gap between men and women. Uh, it goes as far back as women not even being allowed to work. Real wages have been rising and ever since the 18th century. Um, but the gap between men's and women's hourly pay remains. The earliest statistics we have uh, for the full-time manual workers suggested that women were paid roughly half the hourly rate of men in the early 20th century. Uh, this is uh, shocking statistics, yeah, isn't it? Just leading on to that, you know, we were talking about strikes yeah. just in our uh, previous hour. Mm-hmm. This pay gap has also caused a lot of strikes yeah. within the UK and I think all across the world. Mm-hmm. And um, the reasons mentioned before is that it could be many factors why um, the pay gap occurs. It could be gender, race mm-hmm. uh, and ethnicity. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just on a poll earlier um, on our social media that which country has the smallest gender pay gap? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's not many people knew the answer to that. And the mm-hmm. correct answer is that Iceland, Iceland has the smallest gender pay gap. Oh, wow. Wow. So... Okay. The issue that needs to be addressed is... Well, there is. I think there is an issue as well. I think uh, I heard somewhere that there there is a lack of women there as well. So apparently there are more men in Iceland than women. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I heard it somewhere. That's maybe I could be wrong. I do not have the statistics <laughs> of uh, male to female ratio in okay. uh, Iceland. Mm-hmm. But the general um, the the fact is that. Or uh, maybe it could be the other way around. I'm, I could be wrong. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, I mean. Uh, you know, not only is there a pay gap between genders, but, um, you know, we also have pay gap, um, uh, you know, between the ages as well, like uh, Saad mentioned towards the beginning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, elder women uh, experience a larger pay gap compared with their male peers than younger women with their male peers. So this is primarily because women are more likely than men to take their time out for the labor market to carry, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to care for children, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. this may uh, slow the career development. And the statistical an- analysis found that women's uh, shorter job t- uh, tenure, a likely consequence of starting a family, is a factor driving uh, the pay gap. So uh, this is one of the issues. And indeed, now. you know, um, Zakaria and Nashiran, there's one also, there's one more thing um, regarding the pay gap. I was I was doing some research yesterday and I found out, you know, this is, it's also a business, right? For example, in one area where a male-dominated area, let's say, for example, football, um, more money is being poured in into male football um, and, and all the sponsors are going towards them and because more people are watching that, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, on the other hand, you have the Women's Asso- uh, Football Association who are, are not getting the same amount of um, um, recognition because it's, it's a business venture for them. And where, wherever the public is, there are the businesses and the, the more money you have in that very venture, um, in ventures. Mm-hmm. So there's, these things are also into play where, where businesses, um, 
look at what um, the general public wants yeah. and they will pour money into that account and you will see them on a daily basis. For example, you see uh, football or tournaments of mail being um, promoted left, right and centre. Mm. You open up any um, page or on uh, any website, you will see uh, in the sports sections, OK, what's happening in that league, what's happening in that cup. And you can see they're mostly male dominated. Mm hmm. Indeed. Yeah, so this is just a sports um, sector. sector you're talking about, yes. right? But the general consensus, and if you see, we we should focus on the main sectors of public sectors or private sectors. Yes. What is the pay difference between male, female, different ages mm-hmm. and ethnicity groups within them? Indeed. Sports sectors, they have their own generate. Uh, they generate their own money. They generate their own uh, advertisement. And yes. that's why the money coming in for the male um, part it's much more significant because the, the viewership is different indeed uh, but if you compare the private sector and the public sector and how much they are making mm-hmm. and the difference between their pays there's still a, a significant difference right. so what do you think do you think that there should be a difference between male and female pay gap you know um, Nosh, um, Nosh, regarding this it's a controversial question for myself right if I say yes there should be Okay, then you have one side rising against it, and then you say no, there's another um, side raising against it also, right? But in my opinion, what my personal belief is, um, you should be paid for what you do the work for. It doesn't matter who that is, right? If you're working eight hours a day for seven days a week, and you're doing the same amount of work as a male and a female, in that very sector, whatever sector it is, there should be an equal pay, in my opinion. Anything else? Um, <laughs> I try to stay away from. <laughs> Look, Islam. Islam Indeed. teaches us equality, right? It, it, yeah. That's, yes. Islam. Whether it's male, whether it's female, Islam teaches us to be equal to everyone. Indeed. Okay. So if you just take even as a, a job, a simple job, for example, um, teachers. Mm-hmm. So now teachers or uh, doctors or nurses, whether it be male or female, equality is that their pay should be same. Mm-hmm. That's equality. That's what Islam teaches us. Indeed, right. So, but it's in some factors uh, it does differentiate. Uh, we can go on to that and then s- uh, speak about it later. Mm-hmm. So, Zakaria, um, sorry, um, you know, with g- g- gender pay gap, it's it's a very vast topic, in my opinion. You mm. can you can speak about it for uh, um, amounts of because people have been speaking about it already for who have been uh, before us here. Or in in the general public, it's been talked about the pay gap. Why is it always about male and female? Not about mostly it's about male and female, not about ethnicity or um, um or the or the race. It's also about mostly about male and female. Why is this um the main uh, fo- focus point for us? I think this is you know the the biggest issue here is because there is a huge pay gap when it comes to male and female, and the other ones are you know, not focused that much because there is not much pay gap, I mm-hmm. guess, uh, for that, this reason as well. But, you know, this is a long-standing, uh, you know, phenomenon and it it's, it's causes a complexity as well. Um, but you know, we also have these social pressures and norms influence gender roles and often shape the types of occupations and career paths which men and women follow. Um, and therefore their level of pay uh, w- women are also you know more likely uh, than men to work part time and and to take time out from their careers from the family reasons as well mm-hmm. and um but yeah, well, Islam places a strong 
emphasis on justice and fairness mm-hmm. in all matters, right? Uh, like Noshawan said that Islam you know, gives the same rights for men and women, right? Um, and uh, including the economic mm-hmm. matters as well. And the Quran teaches that all people are equal in the eyes of God and should be treated with fairness and justice. Um, the reason for the pay gap are, you know, many, including discrimination of race, uh, discrimination of religion or, or gender. And this mm-hmm. discrimination can take many forms, including bias in hiring, promoting, and uh, the pay decisions as well, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, some people are misinformed uh, about Islam and uh, that you know, in Islam women are meant to stay at home and their mm-hmm. work duties only include being a housewife. So what would your answer to this do, be? You know, um, about gender pay, uh, pay gap, right, Nashavan Zakaria? You know, isn't it the society also shaping a... a for example, if he, if he's if he's male, they he, they're shaping him in such a way that he would technically going let's say be a builder or be somewhere along, uh, along hard hard working, um hardship works uh, or being a construct a constructing worker, where whereas a woman be shaped into more caring um roles. For example, being a, being a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, which uh, um shape our society for the betterment. Uh, so, Nashiman, what do you think about you know, that like also? Currently, in this day and age. I think society has a lot to do with that because mm-hmm. the way we have shaped the the society has become is that we have created roles, different roles for men, different roles for women. Yes. And I think that is one reason why there is a pay gap difference, mm-hmm. whether it's male or female, that the roles that have been given by the society, not by individuals, not by religion, but mm-hmm. what the, what society, has, the roles that society has given is is a is a that obviously Zakaria just mentioned that it's it's misinformed regarding Islam that women st- should stay at home and they can't work and their primarily duty is as mm-hmm. a housewife. That's he- that's information and now you you see if you see within society there are a lot of people that believe that uh, women should be stay they should stay at home, look after their family and maybe this could be one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, um, according to Islamic principles, right, um, employers are expected to pay their employees fairly for the work and the treatment, um, uh, treat them with um, respect and dignity. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, ha- has also said, the best of you are those who are best to their wives and I am the best of you to my wives. This demonstrates um, how highly the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, valued um, the uh, women. And women are uh, were, were granted rights in Islam hundreds um, of years ago. And treating a woman less favorably than men is going against Islamic beliefs. So, you know, in, in the Holy Quran, we see um, where, uh, the, where Allah the Almighty states, um, this amount of um, for regard inheritance, hmm. where the woman has been granted inheritance fourteen hundred years ago, yeah. and the rights and all that, and the Holy Prophet says, "I I am the best among you with that respect and treatment for the women, right? Yeah. And to who, because he was respectful to his wives and all the respect he gave them. Hmm. So these are the things you know we should be adapting also, and this will also um, get um, rid of um, what's it called uh, um, the gender pay gap. We were speaking about um, pay, gender, uh, sorry, pay gap between gender, ethnicity, 
and race. So we were just talking about uh, what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, uh, how he treated um, the women and his wives with it was also respectful and dignity. And you know, we were leading on to this and uh, actually accidentally played the wrong audio clip. I do apologize to my listeners today regarding this, but we are at the end of the day, we are human beings, we do make errors. And Nashavan, you know. Do you have anything um, else to add before we go on speaking about um, other areas? So no, um, we were talking about um, pay gap and um, the difference between uh, men, female, different ages, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a famous saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he has said that and has no superiority over a non-Arab Indeed. or a non-Muslim. And a non-Arab has any superiority over white except by piety and good action. Mm-hmm. So in this um, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it clearly mentions that there should no be difference whether you're Arab, whether you're white, whether you're black. Mm-hmm. You're all equal. And the, the difference that differentiates you from others is your piety and your good action. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's noting it back to the pay gap, mm-hmm. um, whether it's male or female, and if their work is uh, to a standard um, where it's equal, mm-hmm. then there shouldn't be a pay gap. Indeed, you know, so from this, as I mentioned before, you know, if someone's working the same amount of time as the other person, there shouldn't be a discrimination between him or her. Or for example, if he's a male being paid more for the same work the female is doing, or if the female is doing uh, more work or less work, there should be a, a equal. Um, you should be paid for the work you've been doing, not just. Okay, he 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 be working with us for longer time, so there's always there's a mutual respect between the employer and the employee, so that should be always always um, put into consideration, in my opinion. Zakaria, you know, um, regarding this, um, we are been talking about it all day, and uh, we have also our caller with us, um, Khalil Yusuf, who um, is one of um, a leading experts regarding, um, who will be able to tell us more about it. Pay gap between um, genders, ethnicity, and race. And um, with this short introduction, I would like to welcome him onto the show. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you. Uh, Good afternoon. Brother Khalid, I wanted to ask how does Islam promote the values of work and encourages Muslims to be more productive, um, a member of society? I mean, Islam places uh, a number of responsibilities on Muslims, but you know, the main focus for Muslims is righteousness, which is fulfilling the rights to God, but also at the same time fulfilling rights to mankind. Mm-hmm. And what that second limb of righteousness means is that Muslims should be actively engaged in society and be productive members of society. So that's not just helping other people, but it's also being involved in work or some other productive activity that furthers the interests of the nation. Mm -hmm. So furthering the interests of the nation and being actively involved in education and progress of the country in which you live in is an important part of being a Muslim. Indeed. Um, But did you know, um, regarding pay gaps in, in general, so why is it always being talked about that the pay gap between men and women is always different? What um, can you tell our listeners regarding this? Why is it always a difference between a male um, worker between a female worker? Well, look, I mean, uh, you know, in Islam, there is no distinction between Indeed. the payment 
for a man, the payment for a woman. You know, your payment is not determined by gender, it's determined by the work that mm-hmm. you carry out. And I think that in in most Western countries, at least, is intended to also be the case. Okay. The way that free markets work, that employers are able to pay people differently depending upon uh, the, their need, mm-hmm. even though they might be doing this. But uh, that shouldn't be the case, and there should not be any discrimination in pay based on any what is known as protected characteristic, which is including gender, uh, something that's set out within the Equality Act. Okay. You know, Brother Khalid, um, in what ways do you think society currently falls short in promoting and upholding equality, especially in the workforce? Look, you know, it, it's equality doesn't just mean things being even. Equality also requires equity. Mm-hmm. Equity means fairness. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about pay, people should be paid on the basis the work that they do. So whether Indeed. you're a male or whether you're a female, regardless of your race or regardless of your creed, that shouldn't have any uh, bearing on how much you get paid. So, I mean, I think that the value of work is dependent upon the work that you do and your productivity. It's not based on gender and it's not based on color. It's not based mm-hmm. uh, on creed. And, and where there are those uh, artificial distinctions, those distinctions should be taken away and people should be paid fairly. And that's, of course, an Islamic principle that all those who do work, they should be paid, they should be paid fairly, and they should be paid promptly. Mm-hmm. A- another Islamic injunction is also to make sure that when you're doing business to 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 give fair measure. So that means that you don't shortchange Indeed. anyone. That's not just when you are selling products, it's also when you are paying your uh, workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, adding to that, Khalil, um, you know, say if that's if there is a job, a physical labor job, and um, the job application is open to both male and female, um, do you think a job that's more physical um, that should have any differentiation between the pay between the both genders? Look, I mean, I I don't think that it should be based on gender, but I think that you. Uh, an employer, a reasonable employer, should make provision for uh, the needs of each of their workers. So you might find, for example, that you know uh, uh, you have a, a bus driver who is a male and a bus driver who is a female. Um, I think that there should be no distinction in terms of their pay. But if, for example, you have some health reasons that particularly affect a woman and don't affect a man, I think that the employer should make reasonable accommodation for that. Uh, and I don't think that that should be the expense of having less pay. I think that employers have a responsibility to ensure that they're a safe working environment. And I think that if there are particular needs that are gender-based, I think employers should do their best to try and accommodate that in a reasonable way. Mm-hmm. So, Brother Khalil, uh, uh, I wanted to ask also, you know, in Afghanistan, before the Taliban uh, took over, there were about 3.7 million children out of school. But since the regime has taken over, over a million, mostly um, girls, um, are banned from attending the school. So what does that mean? That why Who says that they represent Islam and have stopped the education of women? 
I mean, I, I have to say, I don't know what the, the figures are for education mm-hmm. within Afghanistan. Indeed, is. sorry. I, I can't make any comment on what's happening in that country mm-hmm. as a whole, but generally speaking, when it comes to Islam, Islam is uh, extremely active in promoting education for uh, all people. You know, I mean, there's a hadith that says that uh, you should uh, seek knowledge even if you have to go as far as China. And that Indeed. metaphorically meant that you know, you should make great effort to try and uh, educate. Hazrat you know, was known as the horizon of the ladies of Islam. And she was, many of the hadith originate from her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, she was such an intelligent, productive, and contributing member of society that actually she was not only a judge, she was a physician, she was a military leader. She... Uh, participated in many, many activities. Uh, and so that is an example of uh, the importance that Islam lays on education, not just for men, but also for women as well. You know, Islam, of course, places various responsibilities on men and places various responsibilities uh, on women. Um, but there is no distinction in terms of seeking of knowledge. In mm-hmm. fact, the seeking of knowledge is just as important for women because... Women are the ones, they're the nurturers of society. To them, that take them fundamental, although the father has also a significant responsibility, it is the mother that has a grave responsibility for the upbringing of children. And of course, she needs knowledge and understanding and wisdom for that. So mm-hmm. Islam certainly uh, condones that and promotes education for men and women. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that Islam does promote equality for uh, both men and women to study and to have equality, attain equality and equity and equity, equity. equity so um so why do we hear in in, in the news uh, that you know groups like taliban who say they res- represent islam uh, you know they have clearly stopped the education for women well i mean i, I have to say i don't know exactly what's been happening within afghanistan because i haven't researched independently exactly what the situation is uh, in Afghanistan. But I can certainly say from an Islamic perspective, Islam promotes education for women. And if there is any restriction on women seeking education and knowledge, and that restriction is uh, imposed purely because they are females and for no other reason than that, is not consistent with the message of Islam, which is that we should all seek knowledge, we should seek spiritual knowledge, we should seek worldly knowledge, and we should try as Muslims Mm. uh, to improve ourselves in the best way so that we can uh, serve our Creator and serve mankind. Mm -hmm. Um, If men and women are equal in Islam, uh, does this mean that women are seen as less able? Because, you know, in Islam, you know that men are the breadwinners of the uh, the house look uh, you know um, men and women have absolute equality when it comes to spirituality when it comes to righteousness and actually as as human beings and before the sight of Allah they are entirely equal there is a distinction between men and women in terms of their responsibilities, but that doesn't make any one more important mm-hmm. than the other. Each of them are important in their own way. And the reason why I mention equality and equity in the same way is that Islam is very sophisticated in the way that it ensures the rights of men and it ensures the rights of women. 
if you were to have an absolute quality between men and women, then in the Olympics, what you would find is you would find men and women uh, doing weightlifting competitions together. You would find uh, men and women uh, playing football or rugby together. The reason why there are differences in sports is because there is a physical, there's a biological difference between men and women. Now, just because you might have uh, you know, women's weightlifting and men's weightlifting doesn't mean that men's weightlifting is any more important than women's weightlifting. They are both equally important, but they don't compete with each other because there are biological differences. Mm. Similarly, when it comes to uh, roles and responsibilities for men and women, because women biologically give birth to children and men don't, they have a particular responsibility for children as mothers. That doesn't mean that fathers don't have responsibilities. Of course fathers have responsibilities, but the responsibilities are differentiated based on the biological differences that God has made. That doesn't make them anyone unequal. It doesn't make one more important than the other. Both mm-hmm. are important, mm-hmm. but they have different roles and different responsibilities in the same way that in a company you might have somebody who is responsible for administration, you might have somebody who is responsible for driving the truck. It doesn't mean one's more important than the other. They just have different roles. And, and that is the uh, distinction that Islam gives to men and women, and that's what makes things fair mm. for men and women. It doesn't require women to go out and become a hot carrier, that's a bricklayer, mm. to carry uh, bricks. They can if they want, but it doesn't place that obligation on women. It places the main obligation for physical, manual work on men because they are biologically uh, uh, better suited to that it doesn't mean that women can't do it. It just means that men have that main responsibility. Hmm. Yusuf, I think that's what you said um, just now, that spiritually they are both equal and within roles they do have different roles, but when both of those roles come together, they complement each other. Uh, so I think that's uh, our listeners can really benefit from that, that spiritually we are equal. It's just we have different roles as um, a male and female. Just leading on, how can Muslims work to promote and help uphold the principles of equality within their own communities and at, uh, at society at large? Well, I mean, look, I, I think that the most important thing for Muslims to do is to show the beauty of Islam through their actions. You know, I mean, Islam is a religion which doesn't isolate itself. That it uh, goes, that reaches out to every section of society and it seeks to serve society. You know, Islam is that beautiful faith which believes in all of the prophets, in, in, in Jesus, peace be upon him, in Moses, peace be upon him, you know, in all of the, the prophets and the reformers uh, that have come before, Islam believes in all of them. And so there is a, uh, in the same way that Islam believes in all of the holy books, so that is Islam being the last religion, that is why it is the faith that is designed to unite everybody. So when Muslims utilize the teaching of Islam in order to serve society and show that actually Islam is a faith which unifies us rather than divides us. And that is the best message that we can give. You know, Alhamdulillah, within the Ambient Muslim community, we have some very good examples of that. You know, we're fortunate to have a khilafat and a, a leadership which demonstrates that widely across the community throughout the world. But actually, in other Muslim communities that are, are non-Ambient Muslim communities, they also do. Some, some very good work as well. And in fact, you know, there are two million Muslims in this country, and by and large, they offer a very valuable contribution. I, mean, I think that if people want to 
have a good understanding of Islam, and I think that they should visit a mosque. I mean, the Bet al-Fatul Mosque in South London uh, regularly does tours, and people should uh, reach out to the Bet al-Fatul Mosque, um, B-A-I-T-U-L-F-U-T-U-H, to find that on Google, and come and pay a visit and see how Islam manifests itself in practice in Britain. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, this message as well, that if we don't, you know, go and meet our neighbors, and especially when it comes to Muslims and Ahmadis, then we wouldn't know what our feelings are, or what our teachings are. And, and the best way to learn your neighbors or to learn your, um, you know, Muslims specifically or Ahmadis is you can you can visit us at any moment and our doors are open for you. Thank you very much. Um, Khalil Yusuf for uh, joining us and enlightening us and answering our questions. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me on the program. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Peace be upon you too. So this was Khalif Yusuf. Um, so very interesting uh, uh, conversation, of course. And uh, it's, uh, you know, Islam actually, uh, you know, when we learn about Islam, the rights that Islam has given to every uh you know, humans, and, and especially when it comes to the the rights of men and women, these rights are given, you know, 1,400 years ago. Indeed. Right, the rights of inheritance, the rights of uh, so many other things as well, which have been given 1,400 years ago, and, and we see that in our societies, or, or England, you can say, mm-hmm. you know, it's only been given, uh, you know, in, in the 20th century. Indeed. Or, or, or just you, you know, know from this, 50 or 60 years uh, ago, isn't it? What Nushirwan and Brother Khalil has said also, you know, Brother Khalil said you should, um, for education, if you have to go to China even, you should go the, that far. Yep. He didn't say, okay, this specific gender should go and learn it. It was mm-hmm. for everyone. It was an open thing, yep. which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said. Mm. You know, and also when we talk about a pay gap, right? It's just to enlighten, to lighten the mood of our listeners also. And you know, when when we go into the, um, what's it called, um, undergrounds, you see mind the gap always written, or you see um, someone saying. So we should always be um, mindful. Um, there is there is a gap there. So we shouldn't just completely just um, turn our eyes away from it, right? Mm-hmm. We should always say, okay, there is something which is affecting society. Yeah. So we should um, take that um, thing away from society. And that this is how we can close the gap. Mm-hmm. And if we cannot eradicate it in one day or two days, but we can at least uh, do a progress and we can make it closer for everyone. What do you see yeah. not sure regarding this? Yeah, so closing the pay gap, I think it's very important and it's essential um, for creating a more equal and fair society. Indeed. And, you know, there's many ways um, in which we can help, our listeners can help, and that is by supporting various organisations that, you know, support uh, closing the pay gap. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you support those um, organisations, such as, you know, different laws um, and measures that promote pay transparency, these policies can help to ensure that women are paid the same as men mm-hmm. uh, for doing the same job. So it's not about different jobs. The, like if there's a teacher, male teacher or female teacher, there are policies set in place um, that they both get equal pay. Mm-hmm. And this way they can help eliminate discrimination and that will, be, that will create a more peaceful, peaceful and a more fair society. Indeed. So, you know, um, also, we obviously, we could be reaching the end of the show. This is a long and vast topic which we talked about for a very long time. And Zakaria, 
I always thought this thing about pay gap it's really uh, you know a, a topic which needs to be discussed more openly as even Nashwan has said you know it should be um set out uh, to uh, the um the workers so they should be it should be a known thing for everyone it should be taught in schools it mm-hmm. should be um, whenever we're speaking about it, people do know about it and when we speak about it more the more actions do take place and as you remember with the strikes which are happening because they've been talking about it and they've been saying about it and they have taken actions for it also right mm, yeah. but uh, it has to be peaceful it has to be lo- uh, loving for but uh, we with this pay gap we should know that there is a unfortunate um, gap between work mm. um for the same work uh, someone's being uh, being paid more and someone's being paid less yeah exactly be it gender mm. be the ethnicity or be the race mm. so that needs to be closed down and we, by tackling this is the workers who have to speak up about it also hmm. right and they they have been speaking about it hmm. but it should be more you know we should all be joining as noshwana said you should um, join organizations and help out and whatever way or form we can help them out hmm. i mean uh, there is an also a another uh, thing that uh, women can do which is encouraging or we as as a society can do is encourage women to pursue a higher paying field mm-hmm. right for example another way to address the pay gap is to encourage more women to pursue careers in fields that tend to be higher paying right and this could include careers in science technology engineering and maths etc etc and providing education and training opportunities can also help people uh, develop these skills and and, and knowledge they need to succeed in in the higher uh, paying jobs and this can be particularly important for women who may face mm-hmm. barriers to the education or training right uh, another way to address the pay gap is to promote work life balance which can help uh, women and men as well to better combine work and family responsibilities um, this can be particularly important for women who often bear a disproportionate uh, share of caregiving responsibilities so uh, you know finally you know it is crucial to engage in ongoing education mm-hmm. uh, and dialogue about the pay gap and its impacts of course when we have these dialogues when we have these conversations then we can find for solutions and mm-hmm. and hopefully adopt that as well for to eradicate the pay gap a uh, problem of course um um we're at the end of the show i would like to thank my co-presenters and also the producers of today durasamin mirza and aiza mahmud and also i would like to thank um habib sadik uh, who is behind the tech so thank you very much to all of you for making this show successful and i hope um the listeners they have taken a lot of uh information from us and i hope it will benefit them as well and here is the news